Hello, it's Mike. It's Saturday. What a show. In fact, the Saturday show. And this Saturday, I wanted to use the show to highlight the depth of my voice work talent. So on Wednesday of this week, when the Trump indictment was nigh before we knew it was nah, I talked about Michael Cohen, the Michael Cohenness of it all. Michael Cohen in the middle of the Trump indictment, which didn't happen. Michael Cohen has a podcast called Mia Culpa with Michael Cohen. And on it, he does he does this every week, and I played a little clip of him doing it. He talks over a bed of music that sounds like uh, Got Yourself a Gun by Alabama 3. Is it Got Yourself a Gun? And he inflects his criticisms of Trump and the Trump family with a fair degree of profanity. He seems to end every sentence while choking a little bit. I think it's a virtuosic performance. It's quite funny. And luckily, it's right in the wheelhouse of my voice work talents, such as they are, or as many would say, they aren't. So I bring to you the Michael Cohen spiel from this week. And then we go way into the past. 2015, Vladimir Putin has always done these mega press conferences. And sometimes they take the form of a telephone call-in show where he connects to the elements of the public that are allowed to ask him pre-approved questions or why even risk the actual questions? Maybe they're all setups. But Vladimir Putin did this back in 2015. Uh, Sunday, let's also note, is the anniversary of Vladimir Putin's 2000 election as president of Russia, a position that he's held, uh, prime minister of Russia, he's also held, he has gone back and forth, just in a very important, and as you can hear from the Colin Show, a very popular guy in Russia. So I give you both of these, Mike Pesca doing an outer borough Jew and an inner Muscovite, well actually he's from St. Petersburg, isn't he? And an inner Muscovite Russian, enjoy. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I uh, got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak 
that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, the spiel. The first ever prosecution of a former president, and it is a slam dunk case. Well, not a slam dunk, a layup. Okay, a contested corner three. All right, no, a top of the key three with a man in your face, which could be waved off by the referee. Also a possible shot clock violation. Sounds like a tortured metaphor, but it's apt. It is apt, my friends. At issue is Donald Trump's $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels, niece Stephanie Clifford, a campaign contribution, to be sure, or as is alleged. Now, Trump most certainly falsified business records in recording the hush money payments. That was, it's not hard to prove. TurboTax from Intuit, by the way, does not yet have a line item for hush money, though the law offices of Michael Cohen would like it to be in the next version, maybe with Control H as the keyboard shortcut. So Trump certainly falsified documents. I'm not here to argue that he didn't. But that is a misdemeanor under New York state law. To get to felony, the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has to prove that he falsified records in service of some other crime. And that would be violation of election law. But it gets complicated, as the New York Times pointed out in a really good article today. New York state election law would seem to be at play, but this was a federal election. So federal election law would seem to be at play. Only Trump's lawyers have a pretty decent argument that it doesn't actually apply. And we know how much Trump's lawyers pursue an indecent argument, you know, basically to the ends of the earth. So give him a decent one. Who knows what happens? So this amounts to, going back to my analogy, this is the difficulty of the shot. Alvin Bragg shot his shot, and it's not an easy one. The waved off by the referee part is it could all very well be thrown out by a judge before a jury gets to hear it. And the time running out refers to the statute of limitations, which is supposed to be five years. The hush money was paid in 2016. So that seems to be a problem. But then again, there are some outs and exceptions, including an extension for the coronavirus. Thank you, Andrew Cuomo. But this is the first ever prosecution of a former president. It is a legal theory that is untried. It doesn't mean that it's unworkable or wrong, just novel, like Donald Trump was very novel, like how among the crises he mishandled was the novel coronavirus. Oh, also, a possible key witness, maybe the key witness in the case, is Michael Cohen. I'd like you to listen to my exchange with former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig, who was on the gist a couple of weeks ago. This runs about a minute and a half. Do you think Michael Cohen is a good witness? So I've become friends with Michael Cohen. Um, I like him and and I believe him now, but no, I don't. I w- I've said to his face on his podcast, um, I don't think he would be, I, I think it would be a very um, dangerous tack as a prosecutor to say, he's going to be my star make or break witness. I mean, let's go through the facts. He's a convicted perjurer. He's con- He's committed, he's been convicted of, of committing other acts of fraud, tax fraud. He claims that that's bogus. The Southern District of New York rejected him. They put it, this is not inside information. They they put in their sentencing memo for Michael Cohen that while he tried to cooperate and he was truthful about some things, he also was not fully forthcoming and did not answer other questions. So he was rejected as a cooperator by the Southern District of New York. The other problem with Michael is 
you want your witnesses to be and to appear as impartial and unbiased as possible. You never want, even a cooperator, you never want the cooperator to appear like he's got an ax to grind. The if, man's you know, business model is that he has an ax to grind. All Michael Cohen does is talk about, write books about, and do podcasts about how much he hates Donald Trump. I mean, you know, it... it it is the defining feature of his professional existence. And so you cannot have a more biased witness. And now let's hear from Cohen himself. The MC, Michael Cohen. MC is also Mia Culpa, the name of his podcast, which I have come to enjoy in short bursts. This is my Here was some of today's episode. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. It's almost impossible to believe. Donald Trump, a fucking loser in every sense of the word, is still the frontrunner in the Republican Party. As pathetic and bizarre as it may be, this man who is running from the law is still creating chaos that will ultimately dictate the fate of his entire party. And now, as we wait for the possible indictment to come down in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, and that, of course, is based upon Donald's statements himself, the disgraced, twice-impeached president is trying to change the game. But even though Michael Cohen hurls insults and fucking invective at Donald fucking Trump and does it with a rip-off theme song from The Sopranos in the background, it doesn't mean he's right. I mean, I've heard of breathless coverage, but Michael Cohen's line reads, are straight from the Paramus, New Jersey dinner theater. Meets Woodmere, Long Island cigar bar. Okay, let's kill the theme song for a second. Does a tainted star witness and an untried legal theory and the possibility that the judge throws out the case before it gets to a jury, plus a DA who campaigned on the idea that he would be prosecuting Trump. Does that add up to the ideal circumstance under which to launch the first ever criminal prosecution of a former president? Let's bring back the Cohen music for me to say this. It does not. But you know what else isn't ideal? The fucking behavior of Donald fucking Trump. That is not, by the way, my description of the former president. That is my impression of Michael Cohen. That's how he describes him. And I didn't get a chance in my Cohen impersonation to launch into Cohen insulting that idiot Donald Jr. Cohen is unsparing in his assessment of the intellectual capacity of the Trump scion. But you know, the law doesn't only apply when there's no rebuttal. The law doesn't only apply when it's a very clear case. The law literally makes no distinction for the category of defendants called former presidents and the category called everyone else. If this were the sum total of misdeeds of a former public servant who left office in a state other than one of ignominy, I'd have a certain opinion about the prudence of this prosecution. But that's not the set of circumstance at stake here. Since Donald Trump left office in a state of disgrace, plus a state of document disarray in Florida, plus a state of election interference in taped recordings in Georgia, plus at least obstruction of an official proceeding in Congress, well, then maybe this crime isn't so novel. Maybe it's part of a pattern. And prosecuting a pattern means examining and scrutinizing every individual component of that pattern and putting each one to the test of legality. And if any individual component is found wanting, then the obligation of the prosecutor kicks in. 
And now the spiel, Putin call-in. Last night was the annual Vladimir Putin call-in show on Russian television for four hours. The Russian strongman, and I speak only of his butt muscles, four hours, 74 questions, he fielded calls. He defended, sorry, Vlad does not defend. He explained that supplying S-300 surface-to-air missiles to Iran was okay because the U.S. sends more weapons to the Middle East. Took a call from a lady who begged Putin to tell her husband to get a dog. Took a call from a little kid who asked about his sleep habits. Putin says, it's good that you like to sleep a lot. You'd make a good president. Putin also said the ruble was rebounding nicely. Well, let's put it this way. A year ago, a ruble was worth about three cents. Now it's worth about two cents. In between, it was worth about one and a quarter cents. So it depends where your starting point was. Of course, Putin doesn't deal in cents. He deals in strength and consistency. And this snappy intro. Here at The Gist, we have a special translation. We are not going to rely on the official Russian translation. We have a special translation of select highlights of Vladimir Putin takes the calls of Russians. Here now, that's special. Hello, hello, it's Vladimir Putin. We're taking your calls on the Blini Hot Fresh Take Hotline. We have Yuri. Go ahead, Yuri. Yeah, hi, President Putin. First time, long-time patriot. I think you should trade Crimea for Moldova and you know, maybe a sign and trade with Vladivostok. That, that, that contract's like an albatross. Let's get some new blood in the system. I'll take my answer off the air. In fact, uh, out of the country in case I've angered you. Okay, and thanks for the call, Yuri. You know, we're not going to do that. Vladi Vladstok, it's a veteran city. It's near the head of the Golden Horn Bay, home to the Russian Pacific Fleet. Quite frankly, the contract, not that easy to unload. And Crimea's lottery protected. So I do not think that will work out. Okay, next call, Olga. Uh, yes, hi, Vladimir Putin. It's a pleasure. Pleasure, a real pleasure. I just wanted to know if you're ever going to legalize ferrets. Ferrets? Yes, they're also known as Siberian polecats, so I thought that might influence your decision. They're a kind and loving animal. Kind and loving? No, this is not the proper Russian animal. Okay, then they're a toothy and vicious animal, but they are, like I said, Siberian polecats. I'll take my answer in a fortified bunker. Okay, this conversation is over. Olga, you need help. You need somebody to help you. Quite frankly, this obsession you have with these weasels, it is a sickness. There are a few people who would be so honest with you, Olga. I really think you should see someone about this. I don't want to come off like a dictator, a Giuliani-type dictator, but I am going to say you should get some help. Something has gone wrong with you, and it's a sign of something wrong in your personality. You have a sickness, Olga. Okay, next call. Wait. Oh, no. It's 14 past the hour. Let's see. Here we go. All right. Here we go. We're backed up on the M5 from Moscow to Chablinks. We're bumper to bumper on the garden ring, stop and go on the boulevard ring, jammed up on the third ring row. We're at a crawl on the P216 to Stavropol. There's apparently an oligarch blocking the approach lane on the A104 all the way to Dubna. We've got a Sergei alert on the M6. Okay, time for one more call. Uh, four more hours. Let's sneak one in. We're up against the break, and I must break you. <laughs> okay, you're on the air. Zlata, go ahead. Vladimir Vladimirovich, здравствуйте. 
Yes, President Putin. I just wanted to say you are a great and powerful leader for the glory of all Russia. Thank you, Zlata. You take us to the glory days of our past and deliver goods and services to all the Russian people. And I just want to know if you would ever consider a pardon for Howard Stern's penis. What? Howard Stern's penis. I think Pussy Riot and Baba Booey and Howard Stern's penis should be annexed. All right, all right, get her off the phone. We have three million calls on the line and this joker gets through. You know what? Let this be rebuttal to my critics who say I control all media and police and infrastructure and resources and means of dissent. If this call can get through, can I really be most powerful man in the world? Okay, next up, we wake up Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov with a phony phone call, and we ask the two millionth caller if they know the phrase that pays. Here's a hint. It's cronyism. Okay, keep it right there. You'll be Vlad you did. And that's it for the show. Corey Warr is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson is the senior producer. I will talk to you on Monday.